I think I'm because I'm really connected to like spirit and like realms beyond earth it's given me a source of strength and like belief in magic that is like wider than maybe what the 3D world suggests for us and I I still need to draw on it because I think still as a brown woman in music there's so many hurdles that I constantly have to deal with and feelings that I think even become more obvious to me as I progress because you realize just like how how far there is to go for us in culture. Besharam, Batamiz, Chi Chi, Gandhi, Jalahata, Toba Toba, Oho, Bad Betty. I'm Sangeeta Pillai and this is the Masala Podcast. This multi-award-winning feminist podcast for and by South Asian women is all about cultural taboos from sex, sexuality, mental health, menopause, to nipple hair and more. This season is a US special and it took me by surprise. You see, I interviewed these incredible South Asian American women. I expected to hear some angst around identity and belonging. Instead, they told me how comfortable they were with both their South Asian and American identity. I confess, this is not the podcast season I set out to record. It's so much more powerful. Ravina Aurora is magic. She beautifully merges sensuality and spirituality, something I've never heard in music before. Ravina found music early on, using it to create a bridge between herself and the traditional Sikh household in the US where she grew up. She mixes South Asian music with modern sounds. The result is a melting pot of various influences. Ravina launched her first EP Shanti in 2017, then self-released her debut LP Lucid, followed by Moonstone in 2020. My personal favourite is her latest album, Asha's Awakening, which tells the tale of a space princess from ancient Punjab. And yes, it's as fun and fabulous as it sounds. Watching Ravina perform at Coachella, she was the first woman of Indian descent to perform there. I find myself just transfixed. Like I said, Ravina is magic. My earliest memories are in the living room, everyone singing old Bollywood songs or guzzles. And I think that's a very common experience yeah. amongst us. Yeah. So I was really first introduced to a lot of Indian music and then discovered first all the pop stars like Spice Girls and Britney Spears when I was really young. I think my dad also played a lot of classic rock, like eagles kind of energy mm. so and like Simon Garfunkel so I was introduced to all of that and then I think when I really fell in love with music in my own way was being introduced to R&B and soul and we had gone to a trip to the Apollo Theater which is a really iconic music venue in Harlem in New York and I was just introduced to Ella Fitzgerald and just like all these icons of of soul music from that era 
and I just fell in love and I had to recreate their voice um, and like really study it and, and really like understand like all the, the nuances. So I would spend hours in my bathroom just singing and singing and singing to all these soul songs. <laughs> when did the music come out of the bathroom and come out to the world? When, do you remember the first time you sang <laughs> or performed for people? Yeah, I started singing and experimenting with the voice after that trip when I was 10. And mm. then um, I did like some talent show when I was 11. And then it was like, I caught the bug and was like, I have to do this forever. <laughs> did you ever have that thought that this is what I'm going to do for a living? Or was it very, very just, it just happened? Do you remember? No, I was very hell bent on it being what I did for a living like to me it was the only option mm. from a really young age like 11 or mm. 12 like as soon as I knew I could sing I was like oh I'm gonna I had a very hustler mentality as a kid because <laughs> I really wanted... mentality <laughs> yeah I did I really wanted to make my own money and I really wanted to like be independent and I think it was a lot from me seeing how in Indian like traditional familial structures women are not encouraged to work or like you know just yes put their dreams aside once they have kids Mm. and I even growing up all the women in my family were like you have to support yourself you have to you have to have your own job and they were they wanted that for me you know Mm. all the things that they didn't have so from a really young age I was like oh I have to like start making money as a kid and I didn't make money from music until I was 23 or 24 but I still had that mentality (laughs) (laughs) I could have this little image of you as like 11 year old Ravina kind of running around saying right I'm gonna make money off this no it was ridiculous it was crazy (laughs) <laughs> no, but I, I hear the kind of more serious point of what you're making, I think. Like, say, it was very similar in my family. Like, I was the first woman in my family to have an education, have a job. Like, nobody did that before. Yeah. But I remember my mom telling me, like, constantly, you have to have a job and you have to find, have your own money. Because in her experience, if she didn't, she didn't have a life. You know, she didn't have the choice to ask for anything or have an opinion that was any different. Right? It's huge. Yeah. I think... For us, it literally becomes survival. Absolutely. And it's like a different kind of drive. That it is a very you. different kind of drive. And sometimes I think when you come at it from that survival kind of space, it's almost impossible to switch it off. You're like, oh, I don't need to fight for my survival now. Like, no, 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 my body's keeping fighting. You know what I mean? Because it yeah. comes from there. It's like you have to do this to kind of get ahead. So I completely get that. When did that sense of survival like shut off for you or To be honest, it hasn't. (laughs) It still hasn't. (laughs) So I think, you know, and it's pluses and minuses of that as well. It's like the good thing is I don't give up. Like I'll keep going. Somebody says no, I'm like, okay, then I'll find another way to do this. Another way. You know, Mm -hmm. I will keep finding a way forward. So no as an answer doesn't exist, you know. So that's the plus side. And I'm sure you you echo, you, you wouldn't have got where you have in your career. If you'd taken the first no, I would imagine, right? I would be in a totally different place. <laughs> exactly, exactly. So what was it like for a young brown woman to mm. want to make it big in the music business? What was that like? I think definitely delusionally ambitious. <laughs> like just 
<laughs> like just this kind of I don't know very I think I'm because I'm really connected to like spirit and like realms beyond earth mm. it's given me a source of strength and like belief in magic that is like wider than maybe what the 3d world suggests for mm. us mm. yeah I think and I I still need to draw on it because I think still mm. as a brown woman in music there's so many hurdles yeah. that I constantly have to yeah. deal with and feelings that I think even become more obvious to me yeah. as yeah. I yeah. as I progress yeah. because you realize just like how how far there is to go for us in yeah. Yeah. in culture Absolutely. Um, in, in the west specifically yeah. so I think it's like this like unshaken belief in self and like magic that has guided me through it but it's definitely come with a lot of challenges oh, I can absolutely imagine what were some of the things that you were told by I'm going to say executives in the music business because I don't know what their titles are but when you turned up and you're like okay here's me I'm this musician this is my voice this is what I want to do what were some of the things they said to you I think like a lot of people were encouraging me to be more of a songwriter because they were just like there's no place in the market for you like there's just you know who are you going to appeal to kind of thing hmm. and I there was a lot of questions around like branding and like how just like how how are you going to reach people hmm. with this exterior hmm. which is also ridiculous because I have so much privilege when it comes to like how I present like as a like lighter skinned North Indian person hmm. like there's so much privilege in that yeah. so if I'm hearing that like I can't even imagine what yeah. other people are told do you know yeah 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 so yeah it was it, but it was a lot about like how like how is this gonna work mm. because there's not many models for it mm. and I think maybe the one model we did have was MIA but yeah you, music I make is so wildly different yes. than that so, <laughs> yeah. I mean I love her she's, yeah she's such Me an too. inspiration but we just have we have different stories yeah. and different yeah. like ways of communicating in art so I think yeah. when there's not like a precedent it's kind of hard for people yeah, to place yeah, yeah. but business people usually only rely off of they can only rely off the past and yeah. what's really interesting in music is I think something has to be transformed every time yeah. something becomes successful like even if it's reminiscent a little bit of something from the past something new has to be added to the yeah. story and and the feeling of it so you have to trust like the artist's instinct at the end of the day, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I guess if in the creative space you don't allow for something new in music, in writing, in whatever your art, you just keep regurgitating the same stuff over and over and over again in a million variations, right? Yeah. And I think that's where I'm struggling the most with the music industry right now because I think sameness in many different aspects is is really valued um yes. in like in in this moment in culture yes and it's kind of like disguised as like all kind of being different but it's it's really like selling the same things yeah. at the end of the day and I think that that's something that we have to fight for as artists just like not letting our sounds and our culture and our stories be diluted 
by the taking over of like technology, algorithms, AI, robots, yes. you know, like, like fighting for humanness and culture. Yeah, yeah. I mean, this is not a conversation about AI, but I've always thought that AI is a tool. It can never take over. Like it can't create the kind of music you create, you know, that comes yeah. from a, the source almost or write, I think, the kind of things I'm going to write or paint or whatever, you know, it, that will never be. It's just yeah, a tool, I think. Exactly. They, I really, truly believe that art is, you're just a channel for something higher than yourself yes. and like divine. And yes. I don't know how a robot could really do tap into that. <laughs> yes, I think so. <laughs> Unless they found a connection to the, the source, I guess. Yeah, <laughs> kind of scary. But... That is kind of scary. <laughs> so I know from reading a couple of your articles that it wasn't easy to kind of become who you've become in the music world, right? You've done all sorts of jobs from like retail to nannying to all kinds of things to fund your music. Yes. <laughs> that cannot have been easy. Did you have yeah, any kind of big moments? Of... <laughs> Am I making the biggest understatement? It wasn't easy, Ravina. <laughs> Did you ever doubt it though? in one any of those jobs where maybe you had a really crap day and you're like oh my god I'm tired of doing this did you ever have I, I doubt it all the time I doubt it even last night I was going through doubt <laughs> <laughs> but I think you become stronger and better at talking to that doubt and mm. seeing it as just like a part of yourself that you have to have conversations with every day and like see where that doubt is coming from because it's always related to something in childhood so true absolutely true I find that as well a lot and I think what you just said there which is investigate where it comes from right yeah. I have these moments where like oh my god how am I going to do this thing and then I have to say okay Sangeeta you've done this a million times where is this actually coming from and it'll be something else like you said you know something your mom said when you were five years old or yeah. You know, something like that. And I guess allowing that doubt some space, but not letting it take over. That's the balance, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. I had this really beautiful meditation this morning where I was talking to that doubt. And like the words I kept hearing was, I trust in my creations. I trust in like that because I've been connecting to this source energy every day they've been guiding me on the right path with everything I'm doing just like the word trust because I think yeah. like so much of what has been robbed of our bodies as brown people is this inherent sense of trust and safety like it's yes. even if we grew up with say no trauma you know <laughs> it's literally in our genetics yeah. yes. because of, of yes. our ancestry yes which I I don't know if I don't know many brown people who didn't grow up with <laughs> without any trauma. <laughs> I don't know anyone actually. Yeah. So you, it's like you constant, you have to like create this uh, home in your body, like a new home for your body that like really understands the feeling of trust. And it's like this daily remembering that you're safe. I sometimes think about our ancestors farmers farming wheat in the lush fields of Punjab or growing red rice in the almost psychedelic green paddy fields in Kerala. 
I think about the sorts of experiences they had, the multiple traumas they probably faced, the births and deaths and lives that they saw. And I think about how much of that is stored in my own DNA. How many of my life choices come from the choices made by my ancestors? Yes, our bodies carry trauma from generations. But our bodies also have the ability to change the trauma narrative. How do we do that in practice, in reality? Well, first by becoming aware of our own thought patterns, our core beliefs that may no longer serve us. And then slowly using things like therapy or healing or meditation so we can begin to change those patterns. Growing up, did you see any other brown female artists who you thought, oh, wow, I could be that, apart from MIA? I think most of my examples were in Bollywood. I think that that's why it's been such a big influence for me. Mm. I'm trying to think if there's anyone else. Probably Nora Jones, who's mm-hmm. like... Um, Dad is Ravi Shankar, definitely yeah. her, Asha Puthli. But I, I came to know about Asha Puthli like more later. Mm. So I can't say it was as a kid. Mm. But yeah, I think I actually really re- just resonated more with like R&B and soul artists yeah. because I was seeing other like, you know, women of color who mm. were being so strong and honest and beautiful in their craft. Mm. So I, I think honestly, they they really had a huge impact on me. People like Sade, Corinne Billy Ray, mm. um, all these different women. <laughs> what about Bollywood? Who, or Bollywood music? Who had an influence In Bollywood, on mm. definitely Asha Bosley. I loved mm. her voice. I did too. But the maker. Yeah. Definitely just seeing also the beauty of like Bollywood actresses mm. gave me a lot of comfort because I was seeing my own features reflected back at me, mm. you know? Mm kind of like the bump on the nose and like (laughs) big eyes like it's you know it's not erased in in culture which is really beautiful it's like it's celebrated and held up yeah absolutely I guess within mainstream American culture or British culture we don't really see that so much you know I don't see many women who look like me, who are in magazines or on TV or, you know, things like that. And I'm guessing it's the same in the States. Absolutely. Which then makes it really difficult for us to believe that we are beautiful, that we are desirable, that we are anything. And that's really hard. Did you find that as well growing up? Oh, for sure. For sure. I think that it's very just very trippy when you can see that everyone else kind of has examples but you don't see yourself Mm. and I think that why what I do becomes so healing for me but also other people because they're they're starting to see that reflected back at them Mm. but I also think there's like so many other voices needed and there are starting to be many other voices Um, but I think there's even more needed there's like I think we're just at the the cusp of like this cultural revolution for like mm. South Asian diaspora people. And I think so many 
more stories need to be there because there's there's so many different types of South Asian people and so many different stories and so many different ways of immigration me and my lineage is just such a small drop in that so I I'm excited for people to like really be able to see themselves reflected in all these different ways and different personalities I don't know it's exciting it is 100% agree with you I feel like this is that moment where South Asian women are kind of really coming into their own like everywhere I see your work whether it's Mindy Kaling whether it's Mira Jacob I've been interviewing kind of uh, some more amazing South Asian American women for this series of the podcast and I cannot tell you how excited I get when I'm speaking to you because in all your voices there's this sense of like imminent you know, things are happening, things are exploding, like we're doing this and we're doing that and we're in the White House and we're, you know, throwing Diwali parties and we're doing all this stuff. And it is so exciting, like even sitting across the pond, watching what's going on right now. And I feel like the same thing is happening in the UK too. Mm. It's like, I see see it happening there as well. It's just, I think that we're probably one of the last major cultures to get our... um, flowers and our space mm. in yeah. western global media yeah but i at the same time i also think that like the culture we have um the history we have is so dense and like intricate and beautiful like even when i go back to india i'm like how can i even like I, i'm just barely scratching the surface of what yeah. i can even understand from this yeah. this whole thing so like I almost don't even mind if it's palatable to the West. Like, who cares about that at the end of the day? It's our own thing. And if people want to join the party, they will. But we're going to continue to make art and continue to create no matter what. So I love that. If people if people want to hop on, they'll hop on. (laughs) You're very welcome. It's fun. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Ravina's music has an Indian soul. When I hear her, I'm transported immediately to scenes of old Bollywood music playing in dusty Indian street corners, usually out of rickety transistor radios. These tunes were the soundtrack to life in India in the 80s and 90s, playing in almost every corner shop and barber shop and vegetable store. Old Bollywood tunes have a special place in my heart. My childhood was traumatic, but this old music was a safe haven for me. On many nights around 10.30 or 11pm, I'd be in my bed listening to this old radio show called Binaka Geet Mala, where they played all the old favourites like Muhammad Rafi and Lata Mangeshkar. The soft tones and soothing music would lull me to sleep my body relaxing completely. These were perhaps rare times in my childhood when I felt really safe, that it was safe enough to go to sleep. The other question or the other thing I wanted to talk to you about was how a lot of your music comes from your own personal experiences, right? Mm -hmm. And you've explored 
like all sorts of things from identity to pain to loss to mental health struggles through your music. Was that something you intentionally set out to do or is that something that kind of organically happened? I think that because of the way I started writing music, that's just like kind of the style that developed, like this kind of journal, very vulnerable style. Mm. Um, it's really because I was kind of going through some hard things while growing up and didn't really have a space to talk about them. But when I put them in songs, I could release what I was feeling yeah. and kind of like say my truth mm. in the music. So I've been I've been using it as a form of therapy since I was very little. I think that that just kind of progressed naturally now. It's fun because at the core, I really love pop music. And I think that I also have a lot of fun just making pop music that's a little more like universal or yeah. good enjoy. Um, and I'm starting to write a lot for other people now too. And I think that's been a great outlet to like, get that side of me out too because mm -hmm. I, I think like not every song has to be the most serious yes, yes yes absolutely <laughs> I love your um last album oh thank you which is called Ashes Awakening which is about a Punjabi space princess I loved that I read that and I was like oh my god what is this I love, <laughs> love the colors I love the kind of prints and textures of the music you know it's absolutely amazing talk to me about how that came to be it it really came out of the pandemic boredom. I think that <laughs> <laughs> there was there was so much time to just kind of be bored in the same that way that we were as children and like really explore our imagination in that kind of way. So that album was a lot about reconnecting with inner child and having a conversation with my identity that I musically that I, I think yeah. I hadn't really had before. And that was like part of the awakening in a sense. Mm. Yeah, that album was really ambitious and like really imaginative and a whole world. And I'm really proud of like how deep the world was explored mm. um, and how deep the character was explored. Yeah. I just, I'm very into like, like very like culty things like the gorillas. Mm. Like how they like create an entire narrative world, universe. Story. Yeah. yeah, I love doing that for certain projects of mine. It's really fun. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And did that come from that, you were saying, this kind of inner child work? Is mm -hmm. that where it came from? Uh, yeah, I think definitely. I think that um, it's a sci-fi story and mm. it's like a sci-fi story rooted in also just like spirituality. So mm. I think it was it was definitely partly inspired by sci-fi movies I loved growing up, mm. magic surrealism, but also just like spiritual stories. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, cause I grew up in a very Sikh household yeah. and you're just told stories that are very magical, yeah. you know? Yeah. It's kind of like its own sci-fi. <laughs> um, it's that belief in magic that I think yeah. is very like inherent in just a lot yeah. of people from our region. And yes. I think that when you go, especially when I go back home to India, I can really feel it that there's, there's no like questioning of the magic. Yeah. I think there's a lot of questioning of the magic in the West. And yes. when I go back to India, it's just understood and it's just like revered. Yeah. 
No, I get it, absolutely. I came to that quite late in life, funny enough. It's only now that I'm starting to feel that magic and trust the magic of where I came uh-huh. from. Yeah. And I can now, f- I have like, I think maybe in the last couple of years, I think developed this, what I think of as a connection to the divine that I know, you know, from, from my own yeah. culture, yeah. from my own heritage. That's and amazing. Yeah, it's been incredibly powerful. And magic is exactly what it is. And every time I go back, like you, I see how effortless it is for them. Yeah. You know, this kind of, whether it's a little um, temple that's like the tree becomes a temple in the middle of a road, you know. Yeah. People are worshipping, right? Like like simple moments are like a a chance to like pray and like remember. Yes, exactly. I I think (laughs) so as well. And how also like we have the divine in the in like the sun and the moon and we're like we're saying eclipse and we're saying this and we're saying yeah, yeah you know yeah. all of these are treated as kind of divine occurrences and they are really yeah it's they just are that divine. they are but we live yeah. here now in this very rational kind of world and you're oh but that's just the lunar phase of the moon or whatever you know and you've taken yeah, you've yeah, stripped yeah. it of all the magic i think yeah absolutely that's quite sad like all the poetry and all the poetry yeah exactly hey i wanted to pause this episode for a minute to share something that i'm really excited about podcasting changed my life i went from typing into google what is a podcast yes i did that to creating the multi-award-winning masala podcast and now i'd like to share some of my knowledge with you I'm starting podcasting masterclasses on my website and one of them's been created especially for women podcasters. Just go to my website soulsutras.co.uk and look under courses or email me at podcasting at soulsutras.co.uk and I'll share details with you. I look forward to helping you on your podcasting journey. Now, Let's get back to our guest for this episode. Your music, I also find, is very, um, very sensual, very soft, very oh, sensual. Thank you. And it feels very intimate. It almost feels like you're the only person listening when you're listening to you. Mm-hmm. That's really sweet. Is that a reflection of who you are, do you think? Yeah, is sensuality a big part of who you are? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm just like a true romantic. Like I, I try to like see, like catch the beauty in in the ordinary, and I, I want to like it's very. I guess it's very like Libra and like Venusian, like wanting to be surrounded by beauty and like wanting to be art just as yourself like not even making art you know Mm. like becoming the piece of art Mm. so I think Mm. yeah that like drive for like embodying beauty (laughs) and not just like you know beauty like plastic surgery kind of (laughs) but actual Um, real beauty yeah yeah like something like glowing inside of you I guess the idea of beauty in the west is a very western idea it's very kind of blonde and skinny right yeah and it's also changing to be like a little different it's very like manufactured I think yes now. 
it even is. beyond blonde and yeah so you're right scary, <laughs> yeah it is it is and what's yeah. scary is that we don't find that weird we've normalized that yeah I think I it's think really that's... concerning how yeah. much young teen women are like on the internet and like like I wasn't exposed to so much like surgery knowledge and talk like I didn't know any surgery really beyond like rhinoplasty when I was 14 but now there's like 30 700 surgeries you can get and like everyone is exposed to them when they're 12 mm. I can't like imagine mm. having all that information in my mm. head yeah so young it's yeah. really scary it is really really scary yeah and I'm a lot older than you so I grew up in a time where in India in the 80s you know and there were no you know there was no digital tv there was no internet there was none of that and in so many ways I'm so grateful because mm. I never looked at myself like it just wasn't a thing. Wow. You know, I just never did. I was, I don't know, reading my books because I was my head was always in books or you playing. Were a teenager? Or, yeah, when I was a teenager. Because there was no need to kind of look amazing. at myself. And it's only now that I think, oh my God, I'm so grateful for that. Because I never mm. thought about what I looked like. It just wasn't a thing. Until maybe like when I turned 16, maybe that's when I started to kind of be a bit conscious of my body and my looks. But before that, I just didn't really think about it because nobody thought about it. What a blissful Amazing. world, right? <laughs> what a different world. I know. Exactly. Amazing. Exactly. Yeah, I think I didn't really have that obsession until I was like 18. And even mm. then, actually, I think like the self-consciousness of how I looked in my life really came after I started being like photographed a lot and mm. that was when I really cared about it for the mm. first time I think before that I was just like I am what I am mm. I don't care and I really take inspiration from that younger self that was just like so like, liberating yeah it? like liberated really yeah, exactly exactly <laughs> there's inherently there seems to be a conflict between being sexual and being spiritual Mm. I don't think there is one. I, I actually think they're the same. I just think. Yeah, I think they're the same. <laughs> you know, but we're not, you know, the, the, you know, when, if you talk about Tantra or yoga, everything comes from the yoni, you know, our yeah, creative yeah, yeah. energy, like our ideas. Like yeah. every creation and like sexuality yeah. all come from the same energy yeah. center. So it's like. It's the same thing. All the same, yeah. Yeah. But the outside world, whether that's Western, Eastern, whatever has a real problem with that mm. where being sexual is a different thing and being spiritual is like completely different and you cannot have the two together yeah, yeah where do you think that a, comes from oh, that discomfort I never thought of it in that way like the the mm. disconnect there mm. um whoa where do I think it comes from I mean probably like puritan ideals mm. <laughs> colonial yeah. kind of yeah. shit that was yeah I don't know the answer either. I That's just sort of I, I don't about know. It. Yeah. Um, I think really it comes from the need to control women's bodies. Absolutely. That's where it comes from. Absolutely. Like being, I think like because women are so beautiful and like hold, you know, like they like harbor so much magic and sensuality within themselves. I think men uh, of the past and probably you know still the present too are really intimidated by that and it's you need to like be like oh well you know you're only beautiful from, from 15 to 30 yeah. and then after yeah. that 
you're done. Yeah. Like these like dumb ideals yeah. when yeah. it's not yeah. true. Like yeah. some of the most beautiful women I've seen are like 60s, 70s. Mm. You know, like mm. it doesn't it doesn't matter. Like the whole age thing yeah. that's put on yeah. the yeah. obsession with the features, the obsession with how we present our sexuality. It's all an effort to make this thing that is so wide and expansive smaller and like a bit available to commodify it's almost like if you can tell a woman that to access her own sexuality she's got to spend all this money on all these products right yeah. and then she's got to be really really thin and her hair's yeah. got to be like this and that's when that's the only time she's allowed to access something that is within her own body yes isn't yes. that bonkers It is, it is insane. My, my really good friend Bobo has a amazing podcast called Bobo's Void and she makes these amazing TikTok videos where she explores questions like this. And she said, I'm probably going to paraphrase really badly, but she was like, beauty is unattainable for women. It's something that you have to work on your whole yes. life. And like, yes. there's no like end in sight, you know? Yeah. And for men, it's like, you can attain success after you've got the girl and got the money. So there's like an end. Yeah. But for women, yeah. like the the attainment of perfection never ends. So and true. like as you age. You're like running, running on a treadmill trying to catch up. Yeah, like running on a treadmill <laughs> yeah. or like running up this hill that's like sand and it's yeah. like all like falling. Yeah. Like yeah. 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 And like once we realize that it's actually all bullshit, that's when we'll be free. <laughs> Spirituality and sensuality are often seen as opposite things, but they're not. In fact, they both come from the same source. In some spiritual traditions, the exploration of the sensual is a path to a deeper connection with the divine. And when we look at our own South Asian traditions, like Tantra, which was born in ancient India. Tantra emphasizes the interplay between sexual energy and spiritual awakening. In fact, Tantra teaches us to use our own sexual energy for growth in every area of our life, whether that's work or relationships or spiritual growth. So whatever your spiritual beliefs, I feel like it's so important to develop a deeper connection with our own bodies so we can live our lives to the fullest, really appreciating the beauty and the richness that surrounds us. So Ravina, you talk about being queer. You're very open with your sexuality. Was it a tough journey to get to this part to where you're able to talk about it? Yeah, I think so for sure. I think that when I was, I think that kids are coming into their sexuality a lot younger now and it's so beautiful and it's so normalized. It's like, it's not like that different to be gay. Like everyone is kind of gay. And definitely when I grew, was growing up, that was not the case. Mm. And I really only came out when I think was 24 or something. And it came with a lot of like scary feelings, like feelings like, am I going to be abandoned? Am I going to be 
ridiculed mostly by like the the more traditional brown people in my life I wasn't really worried about anyone else and I think ways I still struggle with it is biphobia I got both biphobia I think from like some people my age or fans and then I think um you know I definitely got a lot of pushback from family and a lot of like hurtful things that were said by older generations but you know I'm not gonna like expose them they're just learning at their own pace and I've done a lot of like forgiving they just come from different times (laughs) and the way I see it is you know they've not had the opportunity to learn any better we live in a yeah, world where we've so learned. many of them are gay themselves. Exactly. <laughs> like, exactly. Really. It just wasn't an option, you know. So then yeah. sometimes the thing you hate about yourself is the thing you hate in other people, I think. Yeah. yeah. So I think yeah. it, it's a reflection of, of, of them rather than anything else. Yeah. I mean, being queer is beautiful, but it's also a journey. And it requires, I think the biggest thing that it asks of me is um, asking how the patriarchy makes its way into my relationships. And I think with all my relationships in women, the patriarchy has interfered in some way. And we've had to like have a lot of conversations about the ways that it does. Could you give me an example of how patriarchy? Mm, I think especially as bi women, we just have to like really take a deep look at ourselves about like why we may want a man in our life Mm. and like, you know, hmm. it's something that I'm still working out in my head. Hmm. I don't know if I can still completely like talk about it in a way that makes sense. Hmm. But especially in like bi and like poly spaces, hmm. dating multiple people, it's like it's a lot about like prioritization hmm. and like the ways that we maybe take care of men and like hmm. make excuses for them sometimes hmm. and exploring that hmm. and exploring the ways where we can be more giving to each other as women mm. and just like prioritizing those relationships. It's really interesting. And then in turn and having all those conversations, I think it helps me have healthier relationships with men because mm. then I'm able to like really break down maybe like traditional patterns that yes. I find myself in them and really analyze like, am I exploring something because of daddy issues or like, mm. am I exploring something because out of like pure love for this person mm. <laughs> like that. Is it, are these daddy issues or is it love issues <laughs> i love that yeah exactly. <laughs> it's so complex it's really complex. yeah it is it is and it's also very difficult to kind of analyze how much of our behavior is conditioning that we carry yeah how much of it is how much of it is me and how much of it is the world that's told me it's this way right it's hard yeah I think it gets even more confusing when it's wrapped up in sexuality, yes. which is something that is meant to be like pleasure and joy. Mm. And I think like you don't want to like question your sexuality or like why you're into mm. certain things, mm. but it's all connected. <laughs> so um, do you feel like there's more representation now of South Asian women, of brown women in, in music, in fashion, in culture in, in the U.S.? Do you feel like that's changing now? A little bit. I think there needs to be more. I think that like, yeah, I think I think there could be a lot more. <laughs> I agree. Yeah, I, agree. I think it's it's a good start. 
That's a good start, <laughs> but, but we need another couple of hundred of us, I think, before yeah, it exactly. makes <laughs> any change. Exactly. I think it's actually exciting because I think that our children and our children's children are going to look back on this time and be like, wow. Like, I hope my children are going to see so much of themselves in art and in culture. And they're going to be like, oh, wow, my mom was really at the, she's like from the ancient ages. She was from the beginning of all that. (laughs) (laughs) She was there when it started. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And I wasn't even there when it started. Like it it Mm. started hundreds of years before me. Mm. But I think that we're still very much at the beginning. (laughs) We're still like, it's still being shaped. I think it's really important though that you're talking about children, but I think it's important for little brown girls in in small towns and big cities and to see people like you performing at Coachella on their TV screens, you know, in magazines, on their Spotify playlists, you know, it's really, really important because unless they see people who look like them and have names like them and sound a little bit like them, they will never be able to imagine themselves in those spaces. Mm, I think you're so right. And I, but I also think there's like a really beautiful thing about just like something that can be taught more to all of us is confidence and like belief in self and belief in one's creations without the need for like western approval or like global Mm. approval Mm. that I think that's something that as women of color we can also like Mm. advocate for yeah actually you have that power inside of you Mm. even if um you don't need to like aspire to something to yeah. like awake yeah. inside of you. Yeah, yeah. No, I get that. I get that. I think what you're saying is you don't need to be at Coachella to be feeling like you're a success in the world, right? Yeah, yeah. Or or like invest in your creations and invest yeah. in your art. I think that's like why I love doing things like like the grants that I'm starting to do because it's just like we should be feeding and like encouraging artists of all spaces and all communities. Like absolutely. Like art is part of ritual. It's just part of like daily life. It's part of um like spirit. Mm. And it shouldn't be reserved to people who can like make money off of it. <laughs> yeah. So say five year old Ravina was sitting here in the room with us and we were having a chat. What would you say to her? That's so cute. I would say you are like the magic that you're seeing in because I used to like talk to trees a lot like I would say that the magic that you're feeling in nature is very real and that it's going to be like a source of inspiration for your whole life so go towards that and I'm just really excited to have my own baby and like really help attune them to like the magic of nature <laughs> talking about trees i i um on saturday we, I've, there's a forest about an hour from where i live so i had this real craving to go to the forest i've been thinking this for like weeks i'm like i really want to go there and That's i went so there and i lay on the bark of this tree like it was like a dead tree it was like an old tree wow and i just lay like head to toe and i can't tell you how amazing it felt oh and I was there for like maybe a couple of hours. It was like a reasonable day in London, which we don't get a lot of. But there's this 
I don't know, this feeling of being held by nature. Like, that's what it felt like. I felt like the leaves were holding me. I could see the Aww. leaves up top and the bark so of the tree was holding me. And wow. like I was having a difficult day that day. And I just felt like I felt I needed to be held. And I was yes. held. So that's yeah. what it, so I completely get what you're saying. I'm really just about to build a forest after this. Lovely. There's something beautiful there. You know, it's really amazing. I moved a lot closer to it. So it's like a five minute walk for me. It's really nice. That's wonderful. Yes, too many more forest walks for you. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Finally, anything you'd like to say to listeners of Masala Podcast? There's loads of South Asian women who'll be listening, who'll be fans of yours. Ooh, I would want to say that your desires and your creativity like the things that bring you the most joy in the world are the things to chase after and nourish and whatever that looks like for you it it could look like pursuing it as a career it could also look like just like making time for it consciously in your day and like setting aside like 20 minutes or like an hour to nourish that part of yourself I was at a nail salon like two weeks ago. This is irrelevant. I was at a nail salon two weeks ago and it was like a really tiny, like rundown place in like some random neighborhood. And I saw all this like incredible detailed art on the wall that all looked like it was from the same artist. And I was asking the person who was doing my nails, like who made this? And she was like, I made these at night after work is done, I go and work on my paintings for like hours and hours and hours. And I was just like, so inspired by her. Like she's like yeah. an incredible artist and her husband was just like celebrating her in a way by like, like putting up them all up yeah. on the walls and like, she like sells it to customers. And I was just super inspired by that. Just like how she just like gives herself to art. Yeah. Whenever she can. It was yeah. so cool. Yes, it is. Yeah. So everybody go create is what you're saying. Yeah. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Ravina, it's been the most uplifting, beautiful, joyous conversation. Oh, you're so sweet. This Thank has been you. really nice. Thank you like so much. Way <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much for being on Masala Podcast. I'm so grateful. Thank you so much. Thank you for listening to Masala Podcast. Masala Podcast is part of my platform, Soul Sutras, dedicated to celebrating and supporting South Asian women. This is a space for all of us bad babies who don't do as we're told. This is where we get to celebrate our culture our way and be exactly who we want to be. I'd love to hear from you. Get in touch via email at soulsutras.co.uk or my website, soulsutras.co.uk. I'm also on Instagram and Twitter. Just look for Soul Sutras. Masala Podcast was created and presented by me, Sangeeta Pillai, produced by Anushka Tate, opening music by Sunny Robertson. Besharam, Batamiz, Gandhi.